0: Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about cannabis, business, culture, and well, today, the law. Anne and Lewis speak with two of the nation's most noted cannabis attorneys, Mark Ross, a New York-based lawyer with Sickenzie Ross Friedman Ferentz. Mark not only counsels market participants in New York, but also created the first law school course on the legal cannabis industry at Hofstra Law School. Benson has a vast range of experience in the cannabis industry, which includes litigation support, providing M and A services, conducting due diligence, and assisting cannabis businesses with state and local licensing. Now on to the conversation. Welcome to the Green Rush. I'm Lewis Goldberg here with Ann Donahoe, my little jar of joy today. We are doing something a bit different. We are having two guests on at the same time instead of one. It's kind of like a a dog pile of a cannabis conversation.
1: Aren't you all lucky?
0: (laughs) So um, at the heart of today's cannabis industry are state laws. With the absence of federal guidelines, businesses are relying on state, regional, and even local laws to run their businesses. And today we are talking with two attorneys um, on opposite coasts, but uh, all in the same cannabis industry. Um, In the western corner of our ring, we have Benson Lau with the Lau Law Firm, uh, which is a bit of a tongue twister. Benson's based in Los Angeles. Um, He works with clients who are looking to obtain licenses, stay in compliance Transition from the black market to the legit green market, um, and he does due diligence for investors. And in the eastern corner, we've got Mark Ross, a founding partner of Sekenzi Ross, Ferencz, and Kessner in New York. Mark doesn't just do the law, he teaches it as well, having just finished his fourth year teaching um, the business of law and marijuana as an adjunct professor at Hofstra University Law School. Uh, Before we start, just a quick reminder to hit that little subscribe button there up there on your iTunes or on your stitcher for the green rush, um, or wherever you're listening to us. Um, and if you can leave us a rating or a comment, we would really be grateful. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at K C S a underscore cannabis.com or just dot, dot. Um,
1: (laughs) there's no dot in our, (laughs) in our handle. (laughs) It's at
0: KCSA Cannabis. It says a dot here, and I'm, like, reading the script and whatever. All right, guys, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us this afternoon. Thank you for having me.
1: So actually, so Benson is actually a graduate of Hofstra Law. So you guys have that in common. And, and Benson said that if you, Mark, were teaching that course when he was there, he definitely would have signed up for it. Um,
2: I do have to tell you, it is one of the more popular courses in the school, much to be I can a,
1: imagine. I can imagine. chagrin. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> sure. I, I so, definitely
2: <laughs> attended
3: some of your, uh, some classes taught by your colleague. Um, uh, is uh, Professor Colasanti still there? <laughs> I was in a securities law
1: class. I love that we're playing um, Hofstra uh, family and friends here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is the legal form of Jewish geography.
1: <laughs> yeah, Hofstra geography. So let's let's dive in. Practicing law in this industry has to be really one of the thorniest specialties. Can you both just briefly give an overview of how you got into this industry and and why is it why is it that you just chose this path? Mark, we'll start with you.
2: Okay. Um, thank you. About six years ago, me and my firm, we do a lot of corporate law, and we help companies, public and private companies, raise money. That's a big part of what we do. Um, And we have 50 lawyers today at the firm. Six years ago, a client of mine had asked me to take a due diligence trip out to Colorado because they were raising money for a cannabis company. I told them I didn't believe in it. I had no interest in doing it. And they say, no, they're serious. And I said, well, I am serious, too. And then they said the three words every lawyer likes to hear, I'll pay you. (laughs) Uh, And I went to visit the the, uh, facility in Colorado, and candidly, I was blown away. I couldn't believe how impressive the industry was, how much promise the industry had. And since then, I've done lots of, I represent a lot of companies, public and private companies in the space. And about four years, as I said, as you said, four years ago, I was teaching the first class in the country at a law school on the business and law of marijuana at Hofstra School of Law in New York. And I've just gotten more and more involved with it. And I'm intrigued by it. I think it's fascinating.
1: Benson, what about you?
2: Well,
3: I started my career uh, as a litigator, uh, primarily in the entertainment sector out here in Los Angeles. And uh, it just kind of happened. Been. I didn't really plan on practicing in this space, but uh, we had a client one day who's one of the original pre-ICO dispensary owners in Los Angeles, and we started doing some transactional work for him, and through that, it just sort of blossomed into this uh, separate, I guess, uh, practice area of our firm, uh, and that's that's kind of how I got into it. So it's not necessarily I chose this industry. it's kind of It like chose you. It chose me, kind of by <laughs> my dad. <laughs>
0: So Benson, California seems to well, not seems to be. California is is ahead of New York um, in terms of legalization, specifically around adult use. Um, we're seeing a lot of issues though in the state on trying to root out black black market operators. You know, there's still. The vast majority of the entire industry is still black market. It's not in the, in the light yet. Um, earlier the, this year, the Bureau of uh, Cannabis Control or the BCC um, in California issued hundreds of cease and desist letters. Okay. Have some of your clients been swept up in that? Have you had to deal with guys who are both legal or and illegal or illegal guys trying to get to legal? I mean, what what are you seeing there? And more importantly, how are you advising them? Fortunately, uh, many of my clients are,
3: were pre-existing commercial operators. Uh, as such, I have assisted them in obtaining the uh, requisite temporary approvals. Uh, common, um, I guess what I, uh, a common mistake I see happening in the industry, especially when it comes to new investors coming in, is that people are conflating these temporary approvals with actual licensing. A lot of businesses will tout that, oh yeah, we are licensed, uh, you know, to be a marijuana retailer. When in reality, all they have is this temporary approval from the Bureau of Cannabis Control, uh, which allows them to operate while their applications pending. So it's uh, so in terms of uh, who I've I've been representing, it's it's either operators that have been in operations prior to, or people that are just starting off that want to make sure they have um all their ducks in a row uh that uh, when uh when i guess licensing opens up for those people uh they're ready to submit all the requisite paperwork they need to obtain uh, ap- to, uh obtain the license uh, but uh in terms of i guess uh the people that have received the cease and desist letter um it <laughs> My advice would be to cease and desist, because the reason being, (laughs) if you want to be in this space and you receive that letter, um, and you don't, you you continue operating, one of the grounds for denial of a license will be violations of uh of of any uh of any regulations. So you you run the risk that you'll be prohibited from operating in this industry Mm. if you continue to do so.
1: So because you've gotten so because just because you get a cease and desist letter, you, you know, you comply by, you know, by whatever the 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 letter s- states, but but you can then go back and try to to get back in compliance and become a, an, a, a compliant operator again. Right. That's not you know, just because you get that letter doesn't mean that you're blackballed. Right.
3: Uh, yes. Um, you, you, you there is an opportunity to apply for licensure. However, and this is where it gets sort of this is where implementation of legalization in California has become a bit of a mess. A uh, majority of local jurisdictions uh, don't have regulations in place yet uh, to, to allow for local approval of their business. And in California, you need both local approval uh, whether in, uh, and uh, a state license in order to be legally compliant. Uh, you, you, and you can't get state licensure without local approval. Um, so... You know, uh, you can't apply for a state license without getting a local license. That's putting the cart before the horse. Um, and the reason and, and you know, and, and local law controls uh, This arises from, you know, the general premise that cities have the police power to protect the public health, safety and welfare of its residents. So only one in five jurisdictions right now in California allow some form of commercial cannabis activity. A majority of them don't. Um, and that's that's been an obstacle that a lot of uh, new startups are facing right now is where can we operate?
0: <laughs> so this 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 brings up the question that you know New York seems to be hurtling towards legalization, right? Um, Governor Cuomo uh, you know has has data coming out for, that he's requested. the the New York's Democratic State Party put legalization into the the party platform. So Mark, What are the lessons if you were in Governor Cuomo's ear right now saying, look, we got to start writing the legislation, the regulations, um, and you were looking at the other regulations, whether they be in Nevada or California, what lessons would you be whispering into the governor's ear right now?
2: Well, I mean, I think uh, I think, first of all, the lesson is economics. Um, I think I would start with the jobs and I start with the tax revenues, you know, in the country by two thousand and twenty. It is expected there will be more jobs in cannabis than in manufacturing. Uh, You know, California, which has just recently come online and been live, they expect tax revenues of about a billion dollars. So I would suggest to the, the governor that, you know, those are two important items for any economy, including this state. And I would suggest you figure out how best to embrace that.
0: Are there regulations? I mean, you're looking at, at from a regulatory perspective, though. Um, are there things that that you're looking at California you're going? Oh, they still didn't get that right. Or you're looking at the the laws in Ma- the regs in Massachusetts going? Mm, they didn't get that right. Like, are there things that you're uh, that you would be piecemealing together, or or maybe you know that's not your gig, and 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 you wouldn't. You'd say to the governor, I, I don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm talking about.
2: Well, I think I think I think two things. I think the first thing is everybody's very fortunate to have had Colorado go first and Colorado made all the mistakes that people are learning. the other states are learning from. Mm-hmm. So certainly Colorado had issues with the packaging, had issues with the, uh, uh, the percentages uh, contained on the items. Um, you know, so I think all of those items have been addressed and they're all being addressed. So I'm not as concerned with the implementation in the state as I am about, and I spend most of my time advising companies, you know, many of which are public companies, and, you know, how they should disclose and how they should address in their public filings um, these, these, these cannabis related issues. So, you know, I think you can figure out, you know, the regulations can be implemented. That's not a big concern. The question really is the willingness to do it.
1: So Benson can we ask you the same question but just in reverse? So you know if you having practiced in a state with adult use and seeing the regulations up close from a state, local and regional level, um, what advice would you give Governor Cuomo and say you know you got to make sure you don't do this because we're stuck here or make sure you you do this because this is just going to be more efficient? Um, Can you I guess if you had coffee with Cuomo what would you say? Or a drink, or a joint, or whatever.
0: Different,
2: <laughs> a different podcast, Coffee with Cuomo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, Andy, he call got us. got
2: promoted, too. His brother just got promoted to his own show on CNN, so maybe you can hook right, into that.
0: Uh, primetime show, yeah.
2: So, Benson, what would you say to the governor right now?
0: My
3: advice would be to, you know, prior to any statewide implementation of uh, you know, commercial cannabis regulations, to make sure uh, that the local jurisdictions are prepared for it. Uh, it's going to require the local governments and the state government to sort of work together to make sure they're in sync uh, Otherwise they'll run into the problems that you know, California is facing right now with many jurisdictions ha- hold it having complete moratoriums where no cannabis activities allowed to be conducted uh, and and it's it's um, You know, it's created a lot of um, I guess
1: um, Well, it gives you business right? <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> it gives us business, but it's it's uncertainty is 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 not good in a in a industry that's sort of looking for legitimacy here
2: so See, uh, I, I think I think this I think the point to the Benson is that you're not going to necessarily have coordination because in California, and we talked about this in my class, in California, you have some towns that don't want cannabis yeah so and, and they have, depending upon how it's phrased, they have the right to prevent that from happening. So um, I think you know my whole position is you want a general buy-in on the state level, but you're not going to have all the local people buying into it, and that's okay.
3: That's certainly true. Um, but also uh, in terms of, I, I guess, for example, let's take Los Angeles. California is the world's largest cannabis market, and in the world's largest cannabis market, the largest city uh, is Los Angeles. Right now, uh, licensing is happening, is being handled by the Department of Cannabis Regulations um, in the city of L.A. Uh, And they were, uh, they had plans to issue licenses in three phases. Phase one was for uh, pre-existing cannabis dispensaries. Phase two would be your social equity applicants. And then phase three is for the general public. Uh, Phase two was slated to begin on March 1st and conclude. On April first, as of today's date, that has not occurred yet. Uh, and they are, uh, and as of today's date, I think the last time I checked, they had four full-time employees on staff processing literally thousands of applications. So, uh, it uh, even though certain towns and local jurisdictions can outright prohibit commercial cannabis activity, as is their right to. Uh, At least at the state level, they should ensure that, you know, uh, localities such as uh, large jurisdictions such as Manhattan or like here, Los Angeles, have regulations and the framework in place needed to uh, make it as smooth as
0: possible. I know that the de Blasio administration is already starting to think about that, that they are they are preparing for New York. And I think that they're looking at cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco that have had real problems. Um, with resistance at the local level and then also um, and just getting it wrong. So uh, hopefully New York will get it right. Um, Mark, you you said you teach a course on cannabis law. You're the first professor to do it. Tell us that moment where you walked into the dean and said, hey, I've got an idea for you. How did that pitch go?
2: Like a lead balloon. Actually, at that time uh (laughs) – At that time, the dean was uh, was very intrigued by it because you know today everybody's looking for the edge and how they would do it, um, you know, and certainly is a ripe area, and it certainly has a lot of intrigue. They were very reluctant until I told them at Harvard, another school that begins with an H and has a law <laughs> school also, uh, you know, teaches some uh, class on accounting for cannabis, and that seemed to give it some uh, comfort. And then they made me write a curriculum. And then after that, they once I passed the curriculum committee, they put it out to vote to the faculty. And you know, candidly, it was very warmly received. People were very concerned about it. But it, 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 turned out to be a, it, it turned out to be a great class.
1: And one of the more popular ones I can imagine on, on campus.
2: <laughs> I, I capped my class at 25. And every year, I have 50 on the wait list.
1: Wow. So, Benson, part of what um, you're hired to do is due diligence for investors. Um, And you were telling me some of the more sordid stories of how people are being approached for, quote unquote, investment opportunities, uh, you know, over Facebook and Twitter and which is just icky. But uh, in general, uh, but what should investors be looking out for and, and what have you counseled some of these some of these clients, you know, when it comes to investing?
3: In a in a new space such as this, you know, there's a lot of opportunity out there for fraudsters. Uh, and what uh, a common mistake I've seen, uh, which I mentioned earlier, are people that are conflating uh, temporary approvals with actual licensure, um, and you know, investors relying upon that and investing significant sums of money um, just just uh, in a business that only has temporary approval. Uh, temporary approval only allows you to operate. For a period of nine, uh, 120 days while your application is pending, and if it's still pending, it's renewed for an additional 90 days. But there's you know, always that chance that it's not going to be licensed. Uh, the other would be uh, to pay attention to zoning restrictions at the local level. Uh, a lot of people are going by um, you know, what's required by the state, which is uh, 600 foot. Uh, you can't have commercial cannabis activity operating within 600 feet of a school. A daycare or youth center. And, you know, because local law controls many jurisdictions, I use Los Angeles for an example, uh, theirs is 750 feet. And it's not just limited to schools, it's also inclusive of uh, public libraries, public parks, alcohol and drug rehab facilities, and uh, permanent supportive housing. Um, so it's, uh, and, you know, when in doubt,
1: or get out a map,
3: <laughs> or, you know, or I'll use an anecdote, Uh, one of the worst, uh, I had a situation where uh, a client approached me about a potential investment in a cannabis dispensary located by the University of Southern California. Uh, Already, that raised a red flag. Um, They sent me an address uh, for the proposed space and, you know, without going on the city zoning site and running any search, I just went on Google Maps. I was able to find that within a block of that location was an elementary school. <laughs> so even the most cursed, do at least the most cursory due diligence uh, because there's, you know, and then these people are saying we'll, we'll be licensed, we'll be up and running by the end of July. Anyone that's familiar with the log jam that's uh, currently, uh, you know, being, that that is currently at the Department of Cannabis Regulations in LA knows that's not possible because phase three, much less phase two, hasn't even begun yet for licensing. So you know, it's it's always uh, important to be vigilant, um, uh, vigilant, and uh, you know, do your due diligence. And so uh, there's a lot of free resources available out there uh, from these licensing boards, such as the Bureau of Cannabis Control or the California Department of Food and Agriculture, which, which regulates uh, cultivation, uh, or the California Department of uh, Public Health which uh, regulates manufacturers, you can sign up on these uh, email lists that they have online. And, and we'll, we'll put links
0: in the show notes to all yeah. these places.
3: Anytime there's a change in the law, and there are changes because currently there are no regulations. California is still under its emergency regulations. So changes can happen at any moment. So it's important to, you know, just be vigilant.
0: So Mark, you're on the other side of this, right? You're working, you've built your career working with public companies and pub- right. companies that want to go public and, and dealing with institutional investors. And can you talk about what your experience has been on that side and, and, and whether, you know, whether you're a company looking to raise money, what you should look out for from shady institutions or on the other side, you're, a, uh, you know, an investor, how to kind of think through some of the challenges of investing in today's cannabis market.
2: Sure. I mean, I think, uh, uh, I think, from the perspective of you know from an investor's perspective, I think you need to really vet out these companies. <clears throat> um you know it's kind of concerning when Benson says someone wants to put up a dispensary there, and you know they didn't bother realizing that's right next to a school. Uh, I don't do that much with dispensaries, but I think you know that some people would say that's indicative of uh, some people in the industry. Uh, I think the industry is maturing a lot, and I think we're getting away from more of those instances. A lot of the public companies that I represent have been raising all kinds of money. Uh, cannabis money in the in the industry. There's a lot of funds that are set up for it. I mean, you know, if you're public, you have access to the public markets. We've been very active in helping these companies gain access, uh, raise money. You know, as long as you have good management and you have a good plan in there, um, you know, and, and just like any other public company, you can implement your plan. I think there is capital there for you. And we've been very successful in helping our clients raise that capital. Yeah, but some, I mean,
0: I'm sure you've seen some really shitty business plans or management that's clearly, you know, they're not on the up and up. Are there some, you know, on the investor side, are there some things that you should look look out for? Like, he's got two different colored shoes on, you can't invest in him. Like, is there, you know, seriously, though, are there things that, that you could identify on either side that, that would yeah. give something,
2: somebody warning? I mean, look, Lewis, you, you, you've been in the space of representing public companies, working with public companies for many years. Uh, I've been in the space for over 20, over, probably close to 30 years, uh, you know, talking to public companies. When you meet with them, you have to listen to them and you have to see what they're saying add up. If, you know, if they have a business plan that doesn't make sense, guess what? It probably doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> if, if when you meet with them and they sound like uh, a little sketchy, uh, I met with someone, someone recently who turned around and said how he's going to open a rec shop uh, he wants to raise money, become a public company and open a rec shop in New York. I said, okay, thank you. Have a nice day. Cause you can't have recreational marijuana in New York. It didn't take me long to realize he had no idea what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> certainly when you sit down and you know, it's like anything else when you're doing due diligence and you're meeting with the clients and you're listening to them and you're, you're doing background checks on them. Um, you know, I think you'll learn a lot. So as an investor, Uh, I think, I think you have to be even more concerned and your, your tentacles have to be up more in the marijuana space because there are people who are sketchy, but candidly that's true of a lot of spaces. So Benson, I have a, um, you know, you kind of say you, you walked or backed
0: into this space that you weren't planning to, to get into cannabis. Has there been something that you've learned that absolutely blew your mind? Like I, this is the dumbest piece of regulation I've ever seen, or this is. This is really brilliant. Like, thank God for this. Like, what? Is, what is, is there? Has been there these moments that your eyes have opened?
3: Well, one thing I find that is, oh, I, I think it's stupid is the fact that there are licensed businesses. You know, my my clients pay taxes, uh, both federal and state, that can't open bank accounts, and that's because of you know the Federal Controlled Substances Act and you know the and and uh, I think that the fact that having access to basic banking needs is something that's necessary in the industry and that I, I just it just befuddles me. If you want to, you know, eliminate the black market, uh, I think that's, you know, that's a great <laughs> first step to take uh, to
2: eliminate all these, you know, just all cash transactions from, from the space. Well, it's even more interesting, uh, Louis, because if you think about it, If you're a public company, and that's a lot of these companies that I represent, in their risk factors, many of them articulate not only that they are potentially violating federal law, but they also could lose and have lost their bank account many times. I mean, I have clients of mine, and these are public companies. So you're a public company, you have to run it, and your bank calls you up and says, we don't want your deposits anymore. So just to kind of embellish what Benson is saying, that certainly is an untenable situation.
0: So, you, you know, there are hundreds now of public cannabis companies, and if they trade in the US, they are on the OTC marketplace. Um, and the OTC tends to have a lot of companies that either shouldn't be public because they, they don't understand the controls, or, you know, they shouldn't be public because the, the management is really in this for the wrong thing. Are you seeing that same type of dynamic, either of you guys, uh, but, Mark, you go first, Develop in the, the cannabis space, that there are a lot of these public companies that really just shouldn't be public?
2: You know, that's true. But again, And for the record, there is one cannabis company on the New York Stock Exchange, and there's one cannabis company on NASDAQ. But, yeah. yes, the vast majority of them are on the OTC markets, and certainly some of them shouldn't be public. And, you know, why they are public or now that they are public, how they have to address it. Those are the clients that I often spend my time talking with and trying to help them. But certainly there there are there's a lot of companies that, you know, maybe they shouldn't be public. And, you know, I can speak to them in advance and say, you know, whether it does make sense for you to go public or it doesn't make sense for you to go public. I mean, the only reason I ask is, you know, cannabis
0: stocks are hot and um, helping an investor, a retail, an unsophisticated investor way through the and not teaching them how to read a balance sheet, but like how to wade through the bullshit, because a lot of these companies spit out BS press releases and their pump and dump schemes. Or is there like something that you might if you your mother said to you, Mark, I want to invest in this company, is there one or two things that you could point to and say, that's a bad idea or that's that's a yes?
2: Well, I think the question is, it's like anything else. What's the industry? If you're, if you're a public company and you own a dispensary, is that really a good model? On the other hand, you know, cannabis is broken down to touching the plant and not touching the plant. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the ancillary businesses are the ones that don't touch the plant. Uh, those have a lot of excitement to people, um, you know, where you can get the pop, if you will, uh, from the cannabis, but still not be uh, exclusively cannabis. And I think that has a lot of attraction. Because in certain situations, if they if cannabis, if federal law starts getting enforced, which I don't see it happening uh, and you become non and cannabis is cut down, you know, you're certainly higher up on the chain um, and not within the the, uh, you know, the eyes of the, the government. So I think, uh, you know, in terms of things that I would look at, I would look at how robust is the business? You know, if you if you have if you have, you know, sales of light bulbs or sales of other ancillary matters. Uh, items, I think that's a very promising aspect, or if you have a substantial production facility.
1: So I think, thank you guys for, for joining us. I think that's a great place for us to wrap up. And before we go, we do a segment every show uh, called Puff Puff Pass, where we ask you guys to tell us in rapid succession, two things you love about the industry and one thing that absolutely drives you bonkers. Benson, want to go first?
3: Uh Sure. Um, yes, two things I like about the industry. One is I I think that it's headed in the right direction. Um, I I, I understand that, you know, we're experiencing some growing pains right now, but those are kind of necessary evils uh, that I believe, you know, in in the long run is going to help the industry overall. Uh, The second thing I like about the industry, I guess, is that my i like my clients that are in this space <laughs> no 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 offense to my litigation clients but my cannabis clients are a lot less stressed out and, wonder uh, why easier to deal with <laughs> probably because they're not uh getting sued or being sued but uh um so and then uh something i hate about the industry again it's it's the whole access to banking and um, and it's 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 not just for those that touch the plant too. Touching on what Mark's Mark uh, said, uh, there's ancillary businesses that are affected by that also. Uh, and I just you know remember that we had a client once that engages in uh, leasing grow equipment to cannabis businesses. They don't touch the plant. All they do is lease equipment, and uh, they had their accounts. Uh, they had to move their accounts. A significant amount of. Accounts had to be closed down and moved uh, at the drop of a hat.
0: So, I, I was just at uh, I was just at a grow in Colorado, and a friend of mine told me that when he lost his last account, they called him up and said, uh, "You have to come in. I have a, a two hundred and eighty-seven thousand dollars cashier's check for you. You can't bank here anymore."
1: Ouch!
2: It's crazy. Yeah. Well, Did you take, help! Help! Did you take the check, difference. Lewis? <laughs> All right. So I'll puff, puff and pass also. So my my first puff, the thing I like about the industry is I think it's a phenomenal industry. It has amazing potential. And I think it is not, since the internet, I think this is the next billion dollar industry that's looking us in the eye without question. The second thing I really like about it is, you know, the the tax revenue basis. You can solve so many of the societal cures uh, just by taxing it. You know, California alone, which is the sixth largest economy in the world, anticipates a billion dollars a year of tax revenue. That's something that everybody can use and deploy. The thing I don't like about the industry is the uncertainty. As a business attorney, which I am, you know, you need certainty. Businesses try to predict. Businesses try to understand. When Jeff Sessions ripped up the coal memorandum on January 4th, it, it sent the industry in tremors. Again, more uncertainty. Part of the banking issues that Benson mentioned, that's all uncertainty. Some banks take you, you have to wonder, are you going to be thrown out of the bank? Mm -hmm. So that certainly is, is very, very damaging, and it's very unsettling to anyone as it relates to the industry.
1: Great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We've been chatting with Mark Ross and Benson Lau, both practicing attorneys in cannabis. All of their contact info um, and some of the links we talked about today will be included in our show notes. Um, We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. If you did, let us know. Subscribe to the podcast and we would love a rating. Um, And feel free to reach out to us. Uh, We're at KCSA underscore cannabis. I think Lewis fudged that in the beginning, at KCSA underscore cannabis on both Twitter and Instagram, and send us a note if you want to, greenrush at kcsa.com. Bye for now.